0: Welcome to Bomb Squad. Yeah, you know what? That wasn't if police ask enough.
1: Ah! Oh, fuck.
0: Hi, welcome to squad. Gu- Hello. Welcome to Bomb Squad Movie Night, episode 103. I am your host and master of ceremony, Tanner Richard Craft, and I'm totally not doing this for the 70th thousandth time. Hello. On a loop. Hi,
2: I'm Albert Camus. <laughs>
0: and we have a special guest returning.
2: Hi, I'm Lauren DeVito.
1: Woo! watching.
0: The stand-up comedian wanted to come back. We did it, thank God. Lauren, anything in particular you want to plug before we get into this?
2: Sadly, I don't have any shows coming up, and I also don't have a job anymore because I got laid off, so if anyone wants to give me a job doing, like, literally anything, or book me on their show, please do. I have nothing but time on my hands. Motherfucker!
0: (laughs) I'm friends with Lauren on Be Real. I've seen their mental state deteriorate over the last few months, so...
2: It's like every day's the same or something.
0: Well, we're going to get right into uh, Groundhog Day, the uh, 1993 Bill Murray starring Harold Ramis directed classic. But before we get into our uh, discussion on the movie, let's start with our warm up question, which is we're going to start with our favorite Bill Murray movie. Austin, how about we start with you? There is no day, only soul. What a lovely singing voice you must have.
1: You know, it's a really hard pick for me. Uh, It's like trying to figure out which Godfather movie is best, the first or the second. But after a lot of thought, I'm going with Garfield the Movie from 2004. A Tale of Two Kitties is a masterpiece in its own right, but they just caught more lightning per bottle with the first one. But the world isn't ready for Garfield the Movie discourse, so my second pick is going to be Rushmore by Wes Anderson. (laughs) The impulse to say The Life Aquatic was almost there because Bill Murray is more central to that one, but I think in In Rushmore, his performance is drowned out slightly less by that famous Wes Anderson artifice that eventually snowballed and mutated until it eventually grew legs and called itself the French Dispatch. I mean, she's not that beautiful. I like to think of Murray's acting career in two distinct stages. There's like his Ghostbusters, Caddyshack roles, where he's like a young cynical guy that's trying to get laid. Then there's his post-divorcing Margaret Kelly era, where he's like this washed up old guy who's trying to reconnect with other people and find meaning in life. After a recent Ghostbusters rewatch, I would say that he's probably going to be more known going forward for movie people at least, for his post-divorce performances like Lost in Translation and the Wes Anderson stuff, because I think that type of guy he played before when he was younger was like tied to an attitude about comedy and macho shit that has died a little every day since the 80s ended. But his later arthouse roles like in Rushmore are probably going to age more gracefully. It's just so much fun watching his quirky friendship with Jason Schwartzman in Rushmore. He's just the right kind of hot mess where you want him to figure something out with the deeply weird remaining pieces of his life. It's, it's- It's a funny, touching film and probably the best live action thing Wes Anderson did until Grand Budapest Hotel came out. I saved Latin. What did you ever do? Back to you, Tanner.
2: So you were in Vietnam, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah.
1: Were you in the shit? Yeah, I was in the shit.
0: Lauren, what about you? What's your favorite Bill Murray movie?
2: My favorite Bill Murray movie is not very Bill Murray heavy, but it is Zombieland. Uh, And there's (laughs) actually, I don't remember if it's in the original or if it's at the end of Zombieland 2 Double Tap. They have like a, a callback to Garfield the movie, where like the whole zombie apocalypse is starting right when he's on the Garfield press tour. But the question is, why in the world Garfield 3?
1: Can this be just between us? Yes. Drugs cost money.
2: So I thought that that was a really fun touch that they kind of tied it back to real life. But I really appreciate that role of his because... He adds like a little bit of fun to that movie that like, you know, it's already a fun movie, but he's adding like, okay, this is how somebody is surviving who's like not our group. Like this is some insight into how these other people are living and surviving in the zombie apocalypse. And his method is to just disguise himself as a zombie so that when zombies come through, they don't try to eat him, which is wild because that's how a lot of kids are surviving school shootings nowadays. oh man
1: oh you're not shit it's like PETA in the Hunger Games like you're just painting yourself like
2: because he used to decorate cakes (laughs) my skills as a cake maker have prepared me for this god damn
0: it Bill I had to get that out. I don't mean to gush. I guess my time to shine. Hello, uh, my favorite Bill Murray movie is an obvious. It's a classic, similar to uh, Austin's Answered. it's partially animated. That's right, I am talking about the 2001 movie, Osmosis Jones. No, I'm not. <laughs> that's not my favorite Bill Murray movie. My favorite Bill Murray is the 2000 movie, Charlie's Angels. Once again, I got you because that's a lie. Damn. No, my favorite Bill Murray movie is the 2000 Hamlet. <laughs> no, it's not. I almost said Space Sham but I thought against it and went with, what about Bob? Fun fact, I first saw that movie in my AP psychology class. I don't know what I was supposed to learn from it, but I do remember thinking it was very funny.
1: Why'd you need to kick Bob out of the house?
0: You think he's gone?
1: He's not gone. That's the whole point. He's never gone.
0: Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Bob playing just, you know, the most annoying human being alive that you also kind of love. It's a very difficult balance being able to be that annoying, but also that lovable. It's the balance I live every day as a person. Uh, Anyway, final answer, the greatest beer run ever. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. Um... (laughs) This is bullshit. They should not be showing this on TV. Now let's get right into what actually probably is my favorite Bill Murray movie. I just couldn't say that because it's the subject of the movie we're doing today. We're talking about the 1993 movie Groundhog Day. One of the funniest damn movies ever made in my opinion, but I'll get more into that later. But let's just sort of get into our overall thoughts on Groundhog Day. Starting with, well, I started with Austin last time. So uh, Lauren, you're going to kick off the festivities this time.
2: All right, well, I wanted to be on this podcast episode specifically because Groundhog Day is my birthday and I was also <gasps> born in 93, so I am like exactly as old as this movie. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> yeah. it's you were born now. in 1993? Mm-hmm, yeah, I'm turning thirty this
0: week. I, I just, I, I just did the math in my head and started processing that. Processing.
2: When I was born, um, my mom had like not induced labor like she was supposed to, and I was born very late. And when I was coming out, uh, I had already taken my meconium inside of her, um, which, if you don't know what that is, look it up. Uh, anyway, I wound up inhaling it, and they had to like immediately rush me away they came up to my mom, and they are like, oh, have you decided on a name for the baby? Like, oh, it's Groundhog Day. My mom's like, is the baby dead? Like, Where's the <laughs> baby? No, exactly. And then when she saw me, I was so jaundiced. Um, she didn't think that I was hers. So that's why I wanted to be on this podcast. And um, everything that I've read about this movie, I don't know what I've read and what sort of insights I've read, but I was expecting very high drama from this movie. It's a lot deepier than what I was expecting. And what I kind of came up with as I was watching this, was that this movie is the exact opposite of Adam Sandler's 50 First Dates. Right? Holy shit! The same day keeps repeating over and over for someone, but in this case, the person who it's repeating it over, over and over for is aware of it, and he is using that to his advantage to manipulate someone into a romance rather than being manipulated himself by Adam Sandler's character.
0: Sorry to bother you, I'm kind of stuck here.
1: Uh Uh-oh, car trouble? (laughs) Yeah. You mind giving me a jump? Not everybody would have stopped like you. You're real sweet.
2: Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Ah! So there were some parts that I really enjoyed, like when Bill Murray does his three, two, one countdown, he flips off the camera. Um, (laughs) I thought that was a really great touch. Please tell me that Gobbler's Knob is the real name of the town gathering place in Puxatawney because that is a wonderful name. I love the guy who he meets in the bowling alley who tells Phil that he's also stuck in the same place every day is the same and nothing he does matters. And. I don't think that Bill Murray's character Phil is really aware for most of the movie that there is like a task that he can perform that'll bring him out of the loop. So he really does think that like nothing he's doing counts, but I almost wonder what would have happened if instead of, you know, having this grand realization of like, maybe I should be more present in my life. What if that hadn't been the thing that brought him out of the loop? And the thing that had brought him out was when he gets pulled over by the cops after he drives a car and crashes it into a car park. And then he starts giving his McDonald's order to the cop. Like what if that was the thing that really made it count for him? And then he had to like wake up in jail. Let me handle this. Yeah, uh, three cheeseburgers, two large fries. There is one character in this movie who I suspect may be aware of the time loop who's not Phil. It's at the hotel where he goes and has drinks with Rita. There's a bartender there. He gives Phil this like weird look of like, oh, I've, I've heard him like flirt with her a million times. And he just kind of gives her this like, huh. You know, I'm like, has he like seen this dude make the same attempt every day for the last week? I don't know.
0: I like to imagine Phil breaking out of the loop was actually irrelevant. It's something the bartender did that made him break out of the loop. He's got a button <laughs> under the
1: bar that releases Phil He's been running
2: put the whole time. And then there was also a couple of other things that I noticed, right? So he is going to a movie theater at one point with a date and she's like a new one who we haven't seen before, but it is kind of presumed that he's seen her a few times. And he gets out and he's dressed in like a Western poncho and Heidi too is playing theater. And he says to her, I've seen this movie over a hundred times. We know he's not going to see this movie every single day. So I think that's kind of the point in the movie where you realize that he's been in here for like years years. So that was kind of like a big wake-up call for me to realize, like, oh hey, he doesn't just do this for like a few weeks or a few months. Like, he's in here for potentially decades. And then the last thing that I wanted to talk about was the homeless man. Phil knows every single day that nothing he does matters. And he doesn't give this homeless man money until like the almost the end of the movie. And it's like <laughs> you could have you could have made this man's life better every single day and you chose not to. <laughs> and then he takes him to the hospital later and the man dies and I thought it was really really shit of him on his like final day where he's gonna do everything right this man doesn't even like cross his radar oh this is my this is potentially my last day in all of this like let me take this man to the hospital and let him die with dignity no he just never thinks about him again
1: there's a um, deleted scene that's featured on like the the Blu-ray and stuff of him leaving a poem on the guy's like sort of dead body and calling the ambulance to come get him. And uh, I'll play it right here. Yeah. So, Jesse, it's a shame. What's this?
0: Every night by cold bricks glow.
2: I watched the shadow rising from this old man in the snow. At 8.02, we let it go. He's gone. At 8.02, we let it go.
1: But it's, it's kind of nice. It's not really a, like, cathartic wrap-up that does the guy justice, but there was a deleted scene with that homeless guy in it. It is an interesting omission from the final film, though.
2: I just I think that he should have brought him to the hospital and at least let him be comfortable in his last moments. Like, don't let him die on the street. That's so sad. Right. And that brings me to kind of uh, my final point, which I will get to later.
0: All right, Austin. I remember you were being very enthusiastic about this, so go ahead, let her rip. I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god. I'm not the god. Because you survived a car wreck? I have been stabbed, shot, poisoned, frozen, hung electrocuted and burned.
2: Oh, really? Special today's Blueberry Waffles?
1: Uh, This movie is deeply important to me. The first time I ever saw this movie, I was 19. It was my first year living alone, and I was at a college where I was really out of place. Uh, Even though, before that, for like years, I'd had this weird thing going on where I was just always thinking about killing myself. I had a pretty solid life, so it's hard to explain why that impulse stuck around for so long. A therapist once told me that when you're young, your brain's neural pathways are expanding so rapidly that it makes some people feel kind of volatile emotions. And there were only two movies that ever made me feel bad for wanting to kill myself all the time. The first one was Castaway, which left me crying like a baby, deeply ashamed of myself. But then there was Groundhog Day, which had the opposite effect. It left me in a really good mood, like somebody had answered an important question I'd been asking myself for years. Like, it's a really deceptive movie, isn't it? It's a PG-rated Bill Murray comedy from 1993 from the director of National Lampoon's Vacation and Caddyshack. Hey, everybody! We're all gonna get laid! But beneath its exterior, it's a movie about a guy trying to figure out a reason to live. Uh, apparently after the movie came out, various religious groups had like a literally me moment with the movie. A a philosophy professor from Harvard once told the New York Times that he thought this movie will still be around 100 years from now. Apparently Harold Ramis' ex-wife used to call him the rabbi because she thought that it was his secret mission to make people more spiritual with his movies. My favorite part of this picture actually is when Bill discovers the homeless man he's been ignoring for probably dozens of years has been dying every time that the day resets and nothing he can do seems to change that contrary to what he previously thought he's not a god unsurprisingly the studio was asking Ramis to cut that part out but for me it's part of what made this so resonant sometimes death puts everything in focus it can wake you up and make you think about what's actually important in life speaking of that I want to end my little bit on the story of Bill Murray and Harold Ramis making this movie like I said earlier Bill Murray divorced his wife Margaret Kelly in 1996 after 15 years of marriage But the relationship was kind of falling apart before that. On top of that, Bill was getting really pissed about the idea. He couldn't seem to make a successful picture without Harold Ramis behind the camera. Their careers were sort of tied together, and he didn't like that. Bill Murray was a colossal douche on the set of Groundhog Day. He tried to rework the script two weeks before shooting, and submitted a totally unusable draft. Things were being built. He refused to talk to Ramus on set, and when he was told to hire an in-between, he chose a deaf lady. Eventually, Ramus grabbed Bill by the collar and shoved him into a wall one day. This was their sixth and final movie together and they didn't talk for 21 years after that. One day in February of 2014, Bill showed up to Harold's house unannounced with a box of donuts and a police escort. They hung out and made amends and they apparently didn't revisit what happened on the set of Groundhog Day. That movie from 21 years earlier where Bill wanted it to be like dark and cynical and Harold wanted to make it more hopeful and comedic. It's pretty amazing that out of that horrible friendship fight, one of the greatest American comedies of the 1990s was made, a movie that made me personally feel like there could actually be a way out. And even though it's not as tidy as in the movies, the old rabbi and his actor friend did make up in the end. Tell him
0: who's up for best shooter.
2: Here are the nominees for achievement in cinematography.
0: Oh, we forgot one. Harold Ramis for Caddyshack, Ghostbusters, and Groundhog Day. My time to shine, hello. Um, I love Groundhog Day. I've loved it ever since I first watched it. It's actually one of those movies where I feel like I've always known it. I've always uh, been aware of it in some way ever since I was a real little kid. Even though the first time I actually remember watching it was in high school for my high school drama class. And that would have been in 2013 was my first time I remember watching it, and a funny thing happened. Every Friday, I watch a movie with my dad. This week, it was going to be Groundhog Day to prepare for this episode. My dad texted me when I told him what movie we were watching, saying, Hey, Addie, my little sister Addie, is going to be joining us because mom's going out to get dinner and I went, okay, cool, fine, whatever. And then Addie texts me saying, wait, what movie are we doing? And I said Groundhog Day. And she tells me, oh, we just watched that in drama class today, which was kind of really meta in a sense.
1: Oh, that teacher is doing a Groundhog Day with Groundhog Day. Yeah, uh, she's still teaching
0: it. So. And another fun thing to discover was my dad had never seen Groundhog Day before, which blew my mind. So it was really fun watching it with him and kind of he was very much on the movie's wavelength. Like two or three minutes before something happens my dad tells me at one point do you just try to kill yourself to see if it works and I shit you not the next scene is the first time Phil commits suicide
1: suicide montage in a PG movie.
0: They let you do so much crazy shit in a PG movie. God, that would never happen nowadays. And what was very fun was uh, looking over my dad and being like, oh, I, he," him saying, I didn't expect this. And I was like, what? To get this dark at the scene of Bill Murray trying to revive the homeless man. And he went, yeah, I thought this was a goofy comedy. Now I'm tearing up. And I have never heard my father admit that he's cried at a movie even in the slightest bit before. Whoa. So as far as I know, that Groundhog Day might very well be the only movie to make my father cry. So there's that for you. I, I felt like I'd just gotten like my world rocked. It's like, are you crying? What's that? Are it's okay cry? to cry. People cry. It's great, but I'm not crying. I don't, I'm don't. i not a crier. I don't cry. I, I, you know, I work out.
2: I actually have something to add. Um, we haven't brought up yet that Punxsutawney Phil and Phil the weatherman have the same first name. The first suicide attempt that he makes, he also takes the groundhog out with him. Is that when he drives the car off the cliff? (laughs) Yep, the groundhog's in the car with him.
0: I had a theory that he thought the the groundhog had something to do with it at that point.
2: Oh, that totally makes sense. That's not bad for a quadruped. You gotta check your mirrors. Just side of your eye.
0: Side of your eye. I'll just say this. When Harold Ramis was asked how long Bill Murray was in that loop for, he says 10 years. I think that's a bit too conservative. Uh, learning how to play it, play a piano that well alone probably would've taken at least half of those years.
1: I think some smart guys did it. Uh, like they they the numbers and figured an estimate was like 38 years.
0: But if you read the original script for Groundhog Day, when he first gets out of the loop, one of the first things he says to Rita is, I've been waiting for you for 10,000 years.
1: 10,000 years of longing.
0: I like that interpretation more. Um, Bill Murray uh, is so funny in this. He, he does this thing that only Bill Murray can do where he is the douchiest man alive and yet still somehow very charming. Don't you have some kind of a line that you keep open for emergencies or for celebrities? I'm both. I'm a celebrity in an emergency. Harold Ramis is a great director um, and I really think this movie wouldn't have worked with other directors. Um, I think he really brings this warmth to the material that uh, makes the movie work, because apparently even the original script was a bit more darker. Uh, for example, the original script apparently started out with Phil already in the loop.
1: In media um, Res, him punching Ned, and then they do a Sonic the Hedgehog freeze frame. Like, I bet you're wondering how I got here.
0: Apparently Harold Ramis promised the screenwriter that aspect would stay in the movie, but apparently Harold Ramis had no intention of keeping that aspect in the movie.
1: It was the first thing he changed during rewrites. It,
0: that scene where he's trying to revive the homeless man, doubling back to that real quick, to me is actually where the movie goes from, like, great comedy to just great movie period, because it introduces this weight and gravitas to the entire picture that was mostly missing, and, like, just introducing death and how and how much it puts things into perspective is um a very heavy, a very powerful moment for me. There's a sudden shift in in Phil as a character that makes him infinitely more likable. All he needed to do was have a man die in his arms. Which uh, brings me to my policy proposal. If you elect me as president, I will make sure every American has a person dying.
1: I'll <laughs> teach them empathy, real fucking quick. You could just listen to the Cutting Crew song.
2: I'm horrified.
0: We'll get into some more general discussion about Groundhog Day after a brief commercial break.
1: Who is this guy? I don't know. You don't know me? I've been playing in here every day for months. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm real lucky.
0: You want some action?
1: We don't bet pool.
0: Well, what do you bet, Gladys?
1: Basketball.
0: Great. Perhaps I could be of some assistance. Hi, welcome back to Bomb Squad Movie Night. We uh, interrupt your ad break to bring you another ad break. Do you like canvas boards? Do you like lines of color? Do you like movies? Then you're going to love this website, moviepalette.com. That's right, you've probably seen them all over your aesthetic Instagram sponsored posts. Moviepalette.com basically takes up the predominant color of every frame in a movie, slices it up into the lines, and give you a big pretty picture-looking thing with it. Get one for Punch Drunk Love, the one I have. Mandy, the one Tim has. And maybe even the movie we're talking about today. If you want to order something from that website, add the promo code SQUAD15 for 15% off your order. You won't regret it. And now back to the show.
1: Okay, fun fact. Six entire groundhogs were bred for this picture. Then they chose the best out of the bunch. It was a little groundhog named Scooter to film the live groundhog scenes with. And Scooter went on to bite the shit out of Bill Murray filming like the car chase scene. Like Bill Murray was wearing leather yes. gloves and that that rodent managed to bite through the glove. And I think Bill Murray had to get a rabies shot. <laughs>
2: I wasn't aware when they do the little town hall groundhog thing. I like legitimately thought, cause I've never watched this live. I thought that the groundhog would like come out of its burrow at the same time it does every day. And then if it like, actually, if you could see a shadow on the groundhog, much like you would with any person, then that meant something. I didn't know that they just like made this up, acted like the groundhog had talked to them.
0: Small town, Pennsylvania, man. <laughs> Surprise, motherfucker. I have some news for you, by the way, Lauren. I did look it up. It is actually called Gobler Snob.
2: I'm disgusted.
1: Did Tyler, the creator, go back in time and tell them to name it Gobbler Snob?
0: Probably. Which, speaking of, when I Google Gobbler's Knob, you know how when you see, like, a like a location, there'll be, like, the top questions on Google Question and Answers? Well, here's the top question. Is there a cemetery where they lay the Phils to rest? Because every groundhog's called Phil, and it's a different one every time. And the answer was, um... <clears throat> Phil is an immortal spirit. There is one Phil who giveth and taketh away the winds of winter.
1: I am inevitable. Fun fact, uh, the the lead groundhog councilman, the guy Bill Murray saves from choking on a big piece of steak. That's his brother, right? That's his brother! Brian Doyle Murray! Punxsutawney Phil, the seer of seers, emerged reluctantly but alertly and stated in ease.
0: I definitely see a shadow.
1: And uh, younger kids probably know this dude from being Captain Knuckles in Flapjack and the Flying Dutchman in Spongebob. Very recognizable voice.
2: Oh my God. My
0: father, the entire time last night, was like, I know him from somewhere. And then I kept naming old movies that Brian Doyle Murray was in. And my dad was like, no. And I went, fuck it. The Flying Dutchman? Yeah, he looks like the Flying Dutchman in Spongebob. And I just went, I guess. (laughs) That's not exactly what he did. But sure.
2: (laughs) Also, something else about this movie that I really appreciated was how... Accurate. They got the attitude of like a mid-market news figure because they really are so up their own asses. They think they're so (laughs) special because it's a very competitive field to get into. But uh, when he's calling, he's talking to the operator and he's like, well, you know, isn't there like a special line that I could get on? Like, don't you keep something open for emergencies or celebrities? Because I am a celebrity and I'm in an emergency. And it's like, you're a Pittsburgh Weatherman. But I, I, I do appreciate that, you know, back in the day you could be on TV and be kind of ugly. Cause like now, have you seen people who like are, you know, the, the host, I've the talent? i on my
0: TV. local news and like, I Maryland. will say though, the Weatherman Perfect. is usually the weirdest looking one. Cause he's probably been there the longest. That, and usually they have to actually hire a meteorologist to be the weatherman, which means an actual scientist, which means slightly smaller selection. They're not getting Botox. Actually, the Mm. weatherman, uh, I think for Channel 4 here in St. Louis, is a very attractive man.
1: Speaking of attractive people, uh, for the scene with Andy McDowell and Bill Murray waking up together after breaking the time loop when they're in bed together, Ramis had the crew all vote on whether or not the two characters (coughs) fucked or not, and the voting majority cited with the idea that they had not fucked. So it's canon that they don't fuck? It's canon they do not fuck.
0: At least not in the movie. So let's assume that Bill Murray was stuck there for years, maybe even thousands of years. Bill Murray's character in this movie is a presumably incredibly straight man, but do you think that he ever, you know, experimented given the long time frame just to see what it'd be like? Because I think, I mean, I'm bi, so I'm not exactly the the greatest source for this, but I think if I was a straight man stuck in that situation, after a while, I'd be like, fuck it, what's bussy like?
1: (laughs) I wonder
2: what dick tastes like. Didn't he give that homeless man CPR? I mean, we know he's at least kiss a man. Yeah. Yeah,
0: he was given some strong tongue in that mouth-to-mouth, I'll tell you what. What I really want is someone like you. I'm just going to bring this up now because Austin informed me of this earlier today, as I also blew my dad's mind with this. At the end of the movie, when they're going through all the great things Bill Murray did, a young married couple comes up to them and is like, oh, gee, thanks, Phil. You saved our marriage. The husband in that little married couple, that's Michael Shannon. <laughs>
1: a young teenage Michael Shannon, Zod from Superman. Oh, uh, fun story, he actually, one day Bill Murray was on set with a boombox cause he would listen to music between takes sometimes. And he was listening to the talking heads and Michael Shannon loved the talking heads at this point. So he goes up to Bill Murray and he's like, hey, do you like the talking heads? And it occurred to him, duh, he's listening to the talking heads <laughs> on a boombox, so Bill Murray gave him the coldest, most sarcastic yeah, I like the talking heads and Michael Shannon felt super shitty for the rest of the day I would ruin
0: my day too <laughs> all I can think now is you bringing up Man of Steel, Michael Shannon just makes me think instead of like you think your son is face you think your hog is safe <laughs> you think your hog is safe
1: I will find him One of the stores in the background, you can see it in like the Ned scenes, it's called Lloyd's. I don't know if it's still open anymore, I think they closed, but they tried to sue the production for hundreds of thousands of dollars in lost business. I think nothing came of it, but on the commentary track, the director basically says, yeah, I think that's more than they make in a year. So we just told them to fuck
2: off. Yeah, but they they had tied up their their business for 38 years. (laughs) (laughs) Another fun fact
1: of what happened on set, one day Bill Murray showed up and he was like, let's get some Danish going. Everyone needs Danish. And so he went to the local bakery and bought 500 Danishes for all the townspeople standing around.
0: So one of the last things we see before his loop ends is that Ned walks up to him and is like, whoa, this guy bought every fucking insurance I sell. And I was thinking about it, how long into his life beginning again did he suddenly remember oh my god i bought all that insurance
1: we have to go back i fucked up it was like what lauren was talking about like what if the loop just ended in jail the loop did end in a bad spot bill murray (laughs) spent all his money on life insurance a dismemberment policy if i'm remembering correctly
0: (laughs) Which I think they just call accident insurance, which, to be fair, I also have accident insurance. But I didn't buy it from some salesman who's like, oh, I remember you from high school. Listen, if you're in a small town and someone ever runs up to you and like, I remember you from high school, very rarely does that conversation end in something positive. It's usually something deeply annoying.
2: If I'm in public and I hear someone yell my name, I just pretend that, like, I heard them and that's not me. Or, like, I've had someone come up to me and be like, are you Lauren? And I was just like, nah. (laughs) No. crazy how all this is happening
1: while Lauren's gone. So there's that scene where Phil breaks the pencil to see what's happening. And originally they had him sort of trash the room Led Zeppelin style. And they were going to do a crossfade back to the way they like put the room together, but they fucked the room so bad that like art department couldn't put it back together in a way that resembled the previous shots of the room anymore. So they're like, oh. Well, guess we can't do that. So they switched it to the pencil because they got a little too rowdy.
0: We fucked up. Lauren, you said earlier how you had like an ultimate point or something. Yeah. Have we heard
2: that yet? Oh yeah, yeah. That ultimate point was that uh, moral of the story, men take 40 years to stop being shit.
1: Uh, (laughs) That's fair.
0: Yeah, 40 years to uh, grow the fuck up uh, tracks.
1: Sorry, it's just the uh, 100 Years song by Five for Fighting, except there's a line about how when he turns 40, he stops being a wild asshole or something.
0: I'm 45 for a moment. I'm (laughs) not a piece of shit anymore.
1: (laughs) It was so cold on the Groundhog Day set. You know that big scene where the Pennsylvania polka is playing and they've got fucking everybody there? So it was fucking cold out that day. And so they were like, how do we keep these extras from just leaving. And so what they do is they'd have like a raffle every hour. Some random person would win $100 and with that small amount of motivation and money, they got everyone to stay around. Just by saying one (gasps) random person will win $100. I feel like that's a metaphor about society or something.
2: No, I just feel like Inflation has gotten so bad because, like, in today dollars, that's like a thousand bucks. Like, that's actually like yeah. that's a pretty penny in today dollars. I was on
0: a set and I was like, "This is so fucking cold. I want to go home." And it's like, "Someone's gonna win a thousand dollars." I'd be like, I'm well, fuck, That's my rent. <laughs> like, that's a little, that's a yeah. little more than my rent a month. I gotta fucking see it through." I'm Spartacus. 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 I'm Spartacus.
1: Uh, The courthouse, uh, this was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois, and the old courthouse in the beginning montage was actually where the father of American socialism, Eugene Debs, was tried in court. (laughs)
0: All right, so here's my pitch, guys. Bill Murray has already awkwardly played one um, historic figure. When he played FDR in some fucking movie, that's a real thing. He's horrible in it. He does a weird, like, British accent that I think he's trying to do that, like, mid-Atlantic Cary Grant accent, but he can't fucking do it. And it sounds like a shitty fucking Cockney accent. Yes! I'm the president!
1: Oh, just stop it, Stop this, God
0: almighty. So my pitch here is that Bill Murray plays Eugene Debs in a movie about that trial. Who's there opening night? I'm not.
1: Mank 2 starring Bill Murray as Eugene Debs.
0: This is a completely irrelevant, but I, I saw this thing the other day that said, uh, replace the title of any movie with the word wank, and someone just re-quote it with the Mank poster, but the M was turned upside down.
2: They said it to Wombo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <didn't> <laughs> That's how Bill Murray broke the loop. Actually,
2: yeah. since we were talking about the Flying Dutchman earlier, kind of reminds me of that. That the it's like one of the first times we meet the Flying Dutchman, and um, Squidward like got like exiled from the boat, and he like flies through like I don't know spaghetti and like this big horrible hell, and he gets in his bed just in time for SpongeBob to be like, "I wish Squidward were here to see this," and then he like winds up back on the boat. That's- <laughs>
0: All right, here we go. Trivia corner. Harold Ramis originally wanted Tom Hanks for the lead role, but mm-hmm. later decided that he was, quote, too nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is correct. I saw a man called Otto recently where Hanks plays Grumpy. But even Grumpy, there's like a heart of gold to him. And I think for this thing to work, you need like a sliver of gold in his heart, not a heart of gold.
1: did Michael mm-hmm. Keaton also get offered and turned it down? Or am I thinking totally of a different guy?
0: Fuck, that would have been incredible.
2: Huh. That would have been great.
0: Yeah, apparently, oh my god, uh, some of the people considered for the role were John Travolta, Chevy Chase, uh, Chase would have been too mean, Yeah. Steve Martin, I could see, Michael Keaton, I could really see, and Robin Williams, I believe Robin Williams could do anything. That's fair. You know, apparently, uh, Ethan told me this once, Stanley Kubrick's original choice for uh, Jack Torrance
1: Was Robin Williams?
0: Was Robin Williams. Apparently that was Stanley Kubrick's original choice, but the studio said no, I think.
1: Wow, the one time the studio was right.
0: Um, Harold Ramis directed the kids in the snowball fight to hit Bill Murray as hard as they could, probably a side effect of them just being at each other's throats. And in return, uh, Bill Murray threw the snowballs back at the kids as hard as he could.
2: I noticed that.
0: Which feels Uh, unfair. He should have just threw a snowball at
1: Harold. And when uh, Andy McDowell is slapping Bill Murray, he was on some macho bullshit. So he was, yeah, just like, slap me as hard as you can. And he just got owned and looked pissed after, you know, multiple takes of just getting fucking slapped. One
0: time I was directing a movie that I also played a small role and it was a horror movie and my character was chasing after the protagonist and she's supposed to hit me with her purse to stop me and we kept doing it and over and over again it just wasn't looking right so eventually at one point i pulled her aside and i said on this next take i actually want you to smack me in the face with your purse We got the tape but at what cost
2: did it have like a heavy zipper on it like a buckle it did and it also
0: like somehow looped through my arm so i took the purse down with me when i fell somehow (laughs) all the clocks in the diner don't move they're actually stuck at the time they're in speaking of the diner bill murray was offered a spit bucket for the scene where he just gorges himself with food but he declined and uh got very sick after eating the angel cake which may or may not have been prepared incorrectly.
1: Yeah, for like commercials and stuff, you're supposed to spit the food out because you have to do so many takes, but that absolute madman just ate the food. Crazy.
0: (laughs) Bill Murray was apparently, his divorce was starting when they were filming this movie, which may or may not have led to the predicament of him being angry at everyone.
1: Could be the root of the problem.
0: Some people have theorized that Phil Connors actually uh, goes through the quote unquote, five stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Apparently, uh, Harold Ramis intentionally used that model to uh, make the movie. Uh, originally, there was a scene where Phil Connors hunts down the groundhog in the groundhog's lair, but this was changed because they thought it'd be too similar to Caddyshack.
1: <laughs> Fucking what else?
0: Uh, Steven Tobolowski, who plays Ned the Head in the movie, was the honorary Grand Marshal in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania for the February uh, 2nd, 2010 Groundhog Day. Everyone in this movie has been the honorary Grand Marshal. During his speech on stage, he actually performs the Lewis whistling belly button trick. Oh my! Harold Ramis has received uh, letters from Buddhists praising the portrayal of reincarnation in the film. He's also received letters from Jesuits. Harold Raymond is maybe the only person on the planet to receive letters from both Catholics and Buddhists for doing one thing. Not a lot of overlap between those two groups. Uh, Danny Rubin, one of the screenwriters of the movie, said that he uh, came up with the idea of this story after reading Interview with a
1: Vampire. Yeah, The Vampire Lestat. I think it's a 1986 book by Anne Rice.
2: I have something to add about that five stages of grief model. I almost feel like the part where he's at the acceptance stage is when he starts trying to kill himself. And I don't, I don't like what that says about, about suicide. (laughs) Well,
0: I finally accepted that my life's never getting better.
2: One, one could argue that that's bargaining too of like, hey, maybe I can like get myself out of this if I kill myself. Maybe that's the way out.
0: The Swedish title of this movie is translated to a Monday the entire week. Uh, Which is funny because Groundhog Day in 1990 was a Tuesday. Was was a Tuesday. Yep. Of course you would know it was your day, of course I know that.
2: I was born on that day. I remember everything about the day I was born. Uh, the German title of the film
0: was The Groundhog Greets Every Day according to this uh, Chicago radio legend Steve Dahl was apparently asked by Harold Lamus to be one of the radio announcers at the beginning of the movie every day but apparently Steve Dahl's partner didn't understand the movie and because of that Dahl wouldn't do it because his partner wouldn't do it I will say one final thing, which is just something that um, occurred to me. My dad said this when watching the movie. He said that he, too, would try to kill himself if he had to listen to the I Got You Babe song every day for the
1: rest of his life.
2: I like Sonny and Cher. All right, who's ready
1: for final thoughts? Austin, we'll start with you. It goes without saying that Groundhog Day is a deeply personal movie for me, but to tell you the truth, not nearly as important as Garfield the Movie. That's right, I made everything up. This has been a tremendously complex (laughs) ruse to advertise Peter Hewitt's Garfield the Movie. You can watch it on Tubi, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Hulu. If you feel like life is one big never-ending Monday,
2: Garfield is the only solution. That cat hates Mondays. Back to you, Tanner. (laughs)
0: Lauren, final thoughts. How about you?
2: The Groundhog Greets Every Day sounds like this movie, but in like a film noir mystery version. Uh, I want to watch that movie. Shoot. It's like the postman always rings twice, right? I mean, that just, that sounds like a great movie. Uh, Final thoughts. Men take 40 years to stop being shit. Back to you, Tanner.
0: Uh, Beautiful, beautiful. This is a very funny movie. It's a very heartwarming movie uh, in parts, and it's a very dark movie in parts. It's, um, A lot of things to a lot of people. It's a deeper movie than you would think it is on the surface, and I think that's part of the beauty of it. But do you know who else is deeper than they appear to be on the surface?
2: Who? Is it you?
0: You! The person watching slash listening to this episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night. I don't know why I went back to the fucking Benoit Blanc thing I did last week. If you are listening to this episode on any of the audio platforms on, thank you oh so very much for listening. Go ahead and go down, uh, leave a review, do something. I'm in a fucking loop, man. I can't get out of this. And if you are uh, watching this on Spotify Video, I hope you enjoyed the cursing. How about you mosey on over down to our Patreon? We will be introducing actual rewards there soon. I swear and if you are watching this on youtube thank you oh so very much for watching episode 103 of bomb squad movie night how about you mosey on down to the comment section below and let me know do you like groundhog day what's your favorite bill murray movie what's your favorite harold ramus movie what would you do if you were stuck on the same day forever and finally what is the worst day of your life to be stuck on a loop forever that's right i want you to bore your soul out to me and tell me the most traumatic thing to happen to you did you see a man die in front of you let me know Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and hit the bell icon to know exactly when we upload new videos. Tune in next week when we discuss the newest Steven Spielberg movie, The Fablemans. Just in time for more Oscar movie coverage. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Thank you again oh so very much for watching uh, this episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night. We'll see you next time, and I'm about to loop again in three, two, one.
1: What do you mean? <sighs> I'm free! What's he talking about?
2: (laughs) At sunset, we made love like sea otters.